Welcome, everyone, to my world. Wow. You have your own planet? Come No larger than your Earth's moon. Humility. I like it. I, too, am extraordinarily humble. planet and can destroy two dozen spaceships without a suit. What are you exactly? I'm what's called a celestial, sweetheart. A celestial like a god? Small G, son. At least on the days I'm feeling humble as Drax. <laughs> I don't know where I came from exactly. First thing I remember is flickering, adrift in the cosmos, utterly and entirely alone. Over millions of years, I learned to control the molecules around me. I grew smarter and stronger. And I continued building from there, layer by layer. The very planet you walk on now. Whoa. Welcome to my world, says Ego the Celestial. <laughs> if there's ever been a more appropriately named person, I don't know who that is, right? Because this guy's clearly unbelievably full of himself. He has this distorted image that everything he is and everything he's created around him that resembles that or reflects that is somehow better than literally everyone and everything else in the universe. In fact, if you follow out the plot of the movie, um, it's really about him, this ego character, trying to plant his seed throughout the universe. And he is willing to destroy anything and anyone and use anything and anyone, including his own, his own child, and destroy him along the way in order to achieve this goal of making things in his own image again that's that level of arrogance if we were to run into that in real life if you run into somebody who really believes that they're all that in a bag the bag of chips and that there's no other way to do something other than their way and quite frankly they don't care if you agree with them or not and they want you to know that they've got it all figured out that they're that boastful that kind of person is generally pretty pretty repulsive right and I think it's repulsive for two reasons. One, because we recognize that ain't right. That's busted. Because we are all human beings here. None of us are intrinsically worth more than others. We may be financially worth more than others. But intrinsically, in terms of value of human life, none of us are worth more than others. But I think also those kinds of people are repulsive because in order for their ego to be puffed up, they have to step on ours. They have to squish somebody else's ego. 
Because ego or that sense of self-worth, self-identity, that's endemic to what it means to be a human being. It's, it's a human reality, right? When you have too much ego is when it becomes a problem and you have no self-awareness and no ability to grow and no ability to allow others to contribute to your life in such a way that would help you actually grow and improve because you think you've already got it figured out or too little ego. If you've ever met someone whose ego has been so shattered, so destroyed that they believe they are worthless, then you've recognized that that is also a huge, huge problem. And in some ways can feel repulsive too, because you're like, I don't want to be around this person who's down on themselves and everybody else all the time. Because God is, as we talked about last week, God has made us all heirs. If we have chosen to follow Jesus in particular, we are his children now. And that gives us an intrinsic value. But even beyond that, human, humanity carries with it, every human being carries with them the image of God, the Imago Dei, as he breathed life into them. And every human being has an intrinsic value to God. There is no one who is worthless. Quincy Jones, the famed record producer, says ego or an out-of-whack ego is an overdressed insecurity. It demonstrates that really it's a defense mechanism for when we uh, really do it. Our core recognize we're not as cool as we think we are. We just want everybody else to think it. And we want ourselves to believe it too, even, even if it is a lie. It, this is really the opposite of the gospel and its message of humility, right? I mean, Jesus's ego was non-existent. He had to set it aside. He gave up, as Philippians 2 tells us, he gave up everything he had. He gave up sitting on his throne in heaven and the riches of heaven and the blessings of heaven and frankly, the comfort of heaven. He gave it up and then he gave over his life to save somebody else. He did not think himself better than everybody else. What he thought was we needed to be saved and thank goodness he did. There was no room for him to see it otherwise. I was reading an article the other day about ego and it was listing seven signs that you might have an ego problem. The first one was you detest criticism because the truth is that sometimes the truth hurts and we don't like to hear things that hurt. So if you are somebody who out of the gate, when someone says something that's negative about the way you're acting, or the way you're thinking, or they challenge your your belief structure or your choices and priorities, um, and you blow a gasket and become defensive, it may be because your ego is a little bit fragile. It's a little bit overblown or a little too small, and you're trying to defend what you have left, whatever the case may be. It's interesting, the symptoms for having a too big an ego and too little of an ego tend to come out in the same way, I guess, because they are both bad. They're both intrinsically flaws in humanity, right? Going either direction to either extreme. The second one is you constantly compare yourself to others. And if you feel like you're better than them, uh, people with inflated egos usually are jealous of those who do better than them, right? They're, they, they're not really interested in or appreciating um, other success stories. If you've ever been promoted over by someone else. If someone else has gotten a promotion and you haven't, there's this intrinsic kind of, well, what's that guy got that I don't have? I'm better at my job than he is or she is. That, that's a sign that maybe 
we're comparing ourselves to others and our ego is just a little bit too overblown. On the other hand, it could, if your ego is too small, if your sense of self-identity and self-worth, that intrinsic value that God has given you is too little, you tend to compare yourself and always feel worse than them. The second one, or the third one is, you must always win. If you're somebody who feels like you are overly competitive and you must always win, whether it be an argument or a card game or whatever it is, even against your loved ones. Um, Karen, Karina Baffa says it this way, ego loves to divide us up into winners and losers uh, because the winners clearly feel better about themselves and by virtue of the fact that they won, they must be better people as well. We know that's not the case, but for a moment we can convince ourselves it's true because it feels good. The next one would be you tend to interrupt others a lot because you think more highly of your opinions than others. I read a quote the other day that said this, it said, big egos have small ears. They're not willing to listen, but they sure have a lot to say. The next one is you have no sense of gratitude, begin to feel entitled. And, and research indicates that Ingratitude is tied to an inflated sense of self-worth because quite frankly, if people do good things for us at the end of the day, we feel like they should have, or we deserve this. So that sense of entitlement that seems to be pervasive in our world period, we have convinced ourselves as a society that we deserve a whole lot of stuff that we don't deserve. The next one is you love to take credit for success, even in the team environment. Um, and and it's an indicator that you love living in the spotlight, being in the spotlight and love having people say, great job, great job, well done, right? Even if you're not the only person who's involved in the process, you're happy to take the credit. The next, the last one is you are too defensive. If subtle disagreements turn into fights, your ego may be a little fragile. Even if someone is trying to air an opinion and you immediately and kind of at a gut level take it as a personal insult or attack when it's just an opinion then your ego may be a little fragile i don't know about you but i can i can pick seasons in my life or moments or events where i've demonstrated some of these characteristics and i have to look back and go was my ego out of whack right did i feel too highly about myself or did i feel too low about myself less than what god would sign the value that God would assign to me as though I was worthless. Which one was it? And, and the truth is, yeah, as I, as I went through some instances, I'm like, man, I was way too full of myself. And God was likely using somebody to cut me off at the knees. He's really good about that. <laughs> when I feel a little too high and mighty or feel too accomplished, he has a tendency to go, oh no, remember that I'm the one who accomplished everything. You're just lucky to be along for the ride, which is a hundred percent true. As Paul finishes his letter to the Galatians, as we're going to finish up our study in the book of Galatians, he identifies this, this askew sense of self-worth as one of the primary reasons that they are struggling. They are struggling to be the body of Christ God wants them to be for each other and for the world. So if you would, open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We're actually going to read the very last verse of Galatians chapter 5, and then the first five verses of Galatians chapter 6. And we've covered this a little bit before, but chapter headings in the Bible, they weren't there in the original writings. They were added later for this, for the purely for the reason of organization. Um, 
sometimes, most of the time, they're they're accurate, they're good. Sometimes I think they're a little off, and this happens to be one of those cases, um, and just off by one verse. So close, right? So close. But we're going to read out of the CSB this week, and um, I've been using the NLT the last couple of weeks, and, and that was really a test. I think at the end of the day, the best version of the Bible that to study from is the one you're going to read. Now we could get into grander discussions on how things are translated and whether or not it's thought for thought or word for word or where it is, lots of details. But at the end of the day, if you're not reading your scripture, if you're not allowing God's word to change you and move you every day, you're missing out on something. And so using the NLT the last couple of weeks was just an attempt to try a different translation that reads a little smoother and, and hopefully engage some people a little more or hit them from a different angle in which they would say, oh, I'm listening. I hear that. I didn't hear it in a different way. And I would encourage you to read different translations to try to figure that out. If you notice that at all the last couple of weeks and you have an opinion, would love for you to comment in the comment section. Um, our online people will get back to will get back to me and let me know, is this worth it? Is this a change we want to make? Or should we stay where we are? Or does it even matter? Right? So Galatians chapter 5, verse 26 out of the CSB. It says this. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. It's one short little sentence that is packed with a massive amount of challenge and information. Let us not become conceited. The Greek word there is xenodoxoi, and it literally means vainglorious. Let us not chase glory. Let us not look to be noticed. Um, the root word is it's, it's a source of empty pride or even vanity. And it really belies what is a deep insecurity. Let us not be deeply insecure. Let us not be pursuant of looking good and having our egos puffed up, right? It can lead us to this need to prove our worth to ourselves and to others. If you've ever read the Corinthian letters, 1st and 2nd Corinthians in the New Testament, it's really the primary challenge that the people of Corinth are going through. Whether it be an an argument over which spiritual gift is better or it be an argument over what women should or should not do and what their roles are or what they should wear, or it be a discussion regarding an orderly service, right? And and just as a side note from that, I want to try to paint a picture of what that looks like. What Paul is addressing is really just absolute chaos. It's a group of people all trying to prove to one another how filled with the spirit they are or how intelligent they are. Wisdom was an enormous um, test of society. In other words, the wiser you were, the higher you were held in society, especially Greek society and in Roman society to an extent too, but definitely in Greek society. The smarter you presented yourself, the more wisdom you demonstrated, the higher you were held in esteem. And so in Corinth, they're having this argument where they are constantly trying to drown each other out. Paul says, we need an orderly service here, guys. Only two or three people need to need to talk over the course of your gathering together. Can you imagine that? If we had not one sermon a week, but two or three sermons a week, I think we would blow a gasket. And that's why I think we don't understand. Paul is talking about 50 people all screaming over each other because quite frankly, their egos are absolutely out of whack. They are provoking one another. They are calling each other names. They are degrading one another. They're baiting each other into arguments. They're not paying attention to really the call to love 
one another or the fact that we are all inherently equal. The only one of us who is greater is Jesus, and we all report to him. <laughs> the, the rest of it is about roles. My role here at Gretna is not to be better than anybody else because my wife would tell you I'm not. Um, my goal is my role is to be the pastor here. It's it's to lead and to study and to help others equip and teach and train and learn and spread the mission, right? Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my role here, a role I believe I am called to. But just as someone else is called to lead the children's ministry or the youth ministry, or is called to serve at Buckeye Gospel Barn, or is called to be someone who goes and visits others in the hospital who are in dire need or sick or in pain, or someone who provides extra finances because they have the wherewithal to do it, or someone who can lay concrete. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Johnny. It, whoever that is, we're all of equal value in the kingdom of God. There is no reason to provoke one another. There's no reason really to envy one another either because we're, we all have gifts that God has given, that God has designed, and then when we put them together, we have all the gifts we need to do the work he wants us to do. It can also lead us, this out-of-sense, out-of-whack sense of self-worth, to refusing to ask for help or to let someone in our lives, either because we want to prove we can make it on our own, right? I'm strong enough. I'm big enough. I'm strong enough. I don't need your help. Or our ego doesn't want to take the hit. We don't want to risk the disapproval of others. There's a lot packed in this one little verse that I think affects the church directly and profoundly in Galatia and sometimes today. So let's, let's look at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Let's, let's hear the discussion that Paul sets up in this one verse as he lays the groundwork for what happens next. Let's read this. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, that would be a trespass or a sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person practice, examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. For each person will have to carry his own load. That phrase in there, let you who are spiritual, I think is both a straightforward call and a bit of a loaded statement. The straightforward call is a call to serve, and it kind of reiterates what Paul covered just a little bit earlier in the middle of Galatians chapter 5 in thir verses 13 and 14. He says, you were called to be free, brothers and sisters, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, meaning don't use your freedom to, quite frankly, do whatever you want, because technically we have that freedom, to do what you, I guess, want to do or what benefits you the most, right? Use your time and your energy for something else. And that's, and he says, but that's, this is the, but, but serve one another through love for the whole law is fulfilled in this one statement. Love your Lord, love your neighbor as yourself, love your neighbor as yourself. It's kind of this repetitive. If you remember, that's the, one of the greatest commandments, right? The first was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Rather than doing what we want to do with our time and energy, we are called to serve others, in particular in the body of Christ. We're called to watch out for each other. We're called to care 
for one another and to carry each other's burdens. And that word burden means a heavy load. I used to, when I was a in high school and stuff, I know you can't tell now, but I used to cycle. I cycled about 30 miles a day and I participated in several races over the years, never won any of them. It's okay. I was out there for the exercise, but I am a little competitive too. That might be an ego problem. Anyways, I'm out there cycling and there's this, and if you've ever watched any major cycling event or the, the Tour de France, which I do regularly, um, people take turns being at the head of the line. Um, and they'll all line up wheel to wheel, super tight. It's the same reason in NASCAR, they draft one another, right? One car pulls ahead. But by pulling ahead for this period of time, the person on the bike in front is doing more work. They are carrying the load for all of the people behind them because they are blocking the wind. They are eating this force that is fighting against them as they try to cut through that wind and go as fast as they can. And so what happens is this person takes a turn carrying the load for the entirety of the group. And when his turn is over, his or her turn is over, he slides to the back of the line and somebody else takes their turn and carries the load. The truth is, if we want to achieve what God wants us to achieve, if we want to be the body that God wants us to be with one another and in the world, we are all at various points in our times going to need somebody else to help carry the load. This load is a, this mission we have is a big one and we really can't do it alone. But, but more importantly, and I think what Paul is getting into here is that the load of life is too big for us to carry alone, no matter how much we would like to believe we can. In Numbers chapter 17, we see where Moses is at the end of his rope, right? He is out of gas. He is tired of listening to all of God's people complain about all the gifts God gives them because they did that repeatedly. He's tired of listening to them to complaining about wanting to go back to Egypt and back into slavery because surely it has to be better than traipsing out into the unknown. And keep, keep in mind, they have a place to sleep. They have a place, they have food to eat. They have one another and they have the presence of the Lord right there in front of them, leading them. But it's unknown and the unknown is a scary, scary thing. But Moses comes to the Lord in number 17 verses 14 and 15 and he says, look, I can't carry all these people by myself. I'm done. And quote, they're too much for me. <laughs> if you're going to treat me like this, he's talking to God, please kill me now. Kill me right now. If I have found favor with you, if you love me at all, kill me now. And don't let me see my misery anymore. I'm done. I cannot carry this load. I cannot do this. But then the next verse, the Lord answers Moses in verses 16 and 17. He says, bring me 70 men from Israel known to you as elders and officers of the people. Take them to the tent of meeting and have them stand there with you. I will come and speak with them there. I will take some of the spirit who is on, who is on you and put the spirit on them. I will help them help you. They will help you bear the burden of the people so that you don't have to bear it by yourself. Even if we are conceited enough to believe otherwise, there are burdens in our life that we cannot and should not try to carry alone. We are called to help one another when we see others that are in need of help in this time, whether that be physical help, financial help, emotional help, spiritual help. In fact, we're, we're called to actively look for opportunities to help others, to help them carry those loads. Because I guarantee you at any one time, there are people in your life and people in this church 
that are carrying a load that is too big for them to carry on their own. It's too big of a burden. We are called to help one another. And, and this is important because this is sometimes where our ego can keep us from getting help. We have to ask for help when we need it too. Um, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard about way down the road, somebody who needed something and they just didn't ask, I'm left going, why? Why would we not ask to help one another? And the answer is, it's pride. It's ego. It's, I do not want anyone to know I couldn't do this alone. Fun fact, we can't save ourselves alone. We needed Jesus. And the truth is he created the church because he knows we can't get through life alone. We need one another. But I also think this statement, you who are spiritual, is a challenge. It's a challenge to the ones who believe that they cannot be overtaken in any wrongdoing, that they are not the sinners that that person is. Um, he says, watch out so that you won't also be tempted. That's a warning saying, you think you're all that in a bag of chips, but really you, you're not as perfect. Your ego should not be telling you you're all that, like ego in the movie and the video, because you're not. I'm reminded of the story of John in John chapter eight, where Jesus is defending the woman who was caught in adultery. She was caught with a probably a priest in the temple who was also an adultery. And it's a whole other set of questions about why he wasn't out there getting stoned. But she is caught in adultery and they are ready to stone her to death. And Jesus stops them in verse seven. And he says, look, of chapter eight, John chapter eight, he says, challenges them, says, okay, all y'all about ready to throw rocks at him. The one without any sin among you that can be the first person to throw a stone. If you really are higher and mightier and in a much better place than everybody else, then go ahead, throw a rock. Well, what happens is they all walk away because for a brief moment in time, they recognize that they're not all that in a bag of chips. And that's important for us because I think we want to believe that, number one. And number two, because those of us who have generally had things go well, who have not needed others to carry the load for us at any point in time, or really not very much, really struggle in those moments when we need it. And yet Paul's words here in Galatians, we just read them, says, for if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, deceives himself, we are lying to ourselves if we believe that we will never need anybody or shouldn't ever need anybody to help us carry the load. The church as a whole would be a much stronger body of Christ with a much greater witness if we were willing to ask one another for help and if we were willing to offer one another help. That's not to say we don't. For sure, it is to say that here at Gretna in particular, we could be much better at it but it takes getting over ourselves to do so. But then he, he, Paul, in the next two verses, has this really strange kind of twist where he says, each of you must carry their own load. Let him examine himself, then he can take pride in, alone in what he's done. Uh, and each person must carry their own load. Well, if I'm helping you carry your burden, but you're carrying your own load, what's, what's the deal there? Well, the deal is they're different words. The burden is a heavy, heavy weight, that thing that you cannot possibly carry by yourself. The load is more like 
the backpack, a backpack that you would wear. It's something that you carry with you. Although I have some high school students, I've seen their backpacks. That may be more than a load. That may be a burden, right? I feel like they're going to flip over backwards sometimes. But, but a load is simply a calling or a recognition of the fact that each of us has our own set of struggles and our own set of opportunities. We have our own different weaknesses and our def different gifts. And we are going to have unique challenges in our lives that at the end of the day, we do have to work on getting through, that we do have to carry. No one else can carry everything for us. They can't live out our life experiences for us. They can't live out our faith for us. And that's, that's something I think we are ready to let somebody else do sometimes um, because it means we have to, we don't have to work as much and we can still feel good about it. Right. There are certain things, pieces of our walk with God, pieces of our lives that are ours, that are the, the it's not a lot, but it's our life, right? We have to carry it with us. We have to carry it through. And there is a level of perseverance that we must have to make it through life. Right. And that level of perseverance comes by having our ego exactly where it should be, having our sense of self and our sense of our identity in Jesus Christ rather than ourselves. You know, it's a genuine humility and not the kind that Drax referenced in that, in that clip at the beginning. Humility, as C.S. Lewis might paraphrase, is, is not thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. We are able to carry the load when we recognize that it's not about us anymore. It is about Jesus. And it's really interesting that as we do that, how many things in our load kind of just get chucked by the wayside? They're no longer involved. And we, we as we care, carry our own load and recognize that, yeah, that's our challenge. And, and Jesus is with us. And I find my identity in him. We stop making comparisons to people around us. We stop worrying about whether or not we are better than them or just befuddled at the fact that we are worse than them. And it gives us the freedom to love unconditionally and the, the freedom to be loved unconditionally. It gives us the ability to not judge ourselves too harshly because none of us are perfect and also not to judge others who we believe are committing wrongdoings and gives us an opportunity to come to them in gentleness and restore them because we're not too busy evaluating ourselves against them. Instead, we're saying, look, all of us, as Romans says, have, fall, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None of us are worthy of the unique gift that he gives us. When we are willing to set aside our egos and we are willing to humbly serve one another because Christ first served us, that is when we become the body of believers he wants us to be. That is when we become the light in the darkness that the world needs to see. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and he be gracious to you. May he grant you favor and may he give you peace. God bless.